Hello and welcome back to another recap of a week in Oklahoma education. And it's been, um, well, it was a little drizzly, a little cold. I wasn't able to ride my motorcycle as much as I wanted to, but that was fine. I uh, Oh, yesterday I finally uh, found the time to go check out a pho restaurant that a uh, former student of mine is family owned. And it was delicious. The weather was just cold enough that the pho, you know, kind of warmed me up, but also it wasn't so cold that I couldn't ride to the other side of town to try it out, so it was a win-win for me. I, uh, what else is going on? I finished some books, started some other books, I've, let's see, I don't know, we, um, oh, we had a virtual day on Wednesday, it snowed on Tuesday, and I don't know, for those of you who don't understand, um, when it snows, people freak out in Oklahoma. My uh, family up in South Dakota would probably shake their heads at us, but you know, if there's forecast of snow, everyone's like, oh my gosh. And then uh, they either don't come to school uh, or they come to school and then as the snow starts and you get like maybe, and I'm, I'm not even kidding here, maybe a couple inches accumulation on the ground, not on the road, on the ground, because the roads were fine. Like, all day long. It snowed pretty much all day long. I don't remember how many inches we got. And the ground looked really cool and wintry and wonderful. Uh, but as I kept watching it come down as the hours and class periods went by, the roads just looked damp, like there had been a, a sprinkle or a rain. But by the time I got to my seventh hour, I had half of my class there. And I, like, I get it as a teenager. You're just going to take advantage of the opportunity to not go to school if you're parents are going to be worried. I even joked with one uh, uh, upperclassman because they were like, they weren't there. And it's like, were you worried about the snow? He's like, no, my mom was. And so, and it's like, and you weren't worried though, but you played up your mom's worry and you, you were going to take that. And he's like, oh yeah, I was going to take that, miss a day of school, which, you know, that's fine. Just, um, you know, don't complain if you get a little behind or you get a little overwhelmed because, you know, things ha happen. I mean, in my class, we started, kind of did an introduction to our new unit on imperialism, and then we had a virtual day on Wednesday, yeah, which I, it was, like, the snow had stopped, you know, Tuesday night, and it was, it was cold, but it wasn't, like, this weekend cold, um, or next week cold, it was, wasn't below freezing, and so we stayed home, we got the email from our principal saying, you know, you need to have your virtual lessons, activities, something up and available and live by 11 a.m. And now that I think about it, I don't think they sent anything out to the high school families or students to say, hey, these are the procedures for today. Your teachers are supposed to have their assignments um, or content up by 11. So yeah, go figure. Most people don't do anything. For me, I just try to give them a chance to catch up from the Tuesday that the snow kids missed. But yeah, virtual days, I don't know. They're just, just oh, sorry, distance learning days. They're kind of a joke in terms of getting anything meaningful done because a good chunk, if not a majority of students, don't really do anything. I mean, even my son is in high school and he's a great guy, but you could tell he wasn't very motivated to uh, get on a Chromebook and do some work, so I I get it. Um, the oh the other 
uh, highlight of the week was uh, the superintendent has been going on a listening tour uh, through the district for the last, I don't know how long, but I guess he's here at the high school. He came to the high school on Friday, and I decided to go see what was up during my playing period. And honestly, it was myself and another social studies teacher, a whole bunch of algebra teachers, and a couple of other randoms that I um, that just kind of showed up. And it, it was a little awkward. Maybe they were just getting used to their format because we went, it took forever on like talking about procedures and introductions. And I maybe even sarcastically asked my buddy next to me, like, when is the listening going to start? Uh, because it, it seemed to lack. And then I guess we had questions that the uh, district admins wanting to ask. And, and they started off one with is just, you know, we don't have enough teachers. And they gave an example of how for the first year and forever, uh, our district wasn't able to fill all the elementary school positions. As in, when school started, we still had some positions that were available. And apparently that hasn't happened before. So they're wondering, what do we do to attract more teachers? I'm over here going like, I don't know. Like, that, that's an admin job. I, I mean, I can tell people, like, hey, Mustang, come on out. It worked great. Um, but, and actually, now I think about it, I have a former student who's probably going to graduate soon with an elementary degree. Maybe I should reach out to them. But I wasn't sure. We did eventually transition to the idea of retention, which that's something, you know, I, I can think about. And that's something I can help think about and plan for. And part of it is just workload. And some of the teachers mentioned it too, but mine in particular is it really just, it's a pet peeve of mine when we get new-ish teachers, like first to three, maybe five years, and we expect them, allow them, or expect them to do so many different things, be in charge of so many activities and plans. And it's just, um, it's a lot. I get sometimes they're, they're, maybe coaching a sport, but then they have two different classes they have to prepare for. And if they're still new to the whole teaching profession in general, that's that's where the burnout happens. And you have teachers who will teach for one, two, three, five years, and then it's like, oh, I'm done. I'm going to go do something else. Or they just switch to a different site or a different district where they aren't required to have as many preps for their schedule. So that was the suggestion. Um, like we eventually, they got into, I don't remember what the question was, but it's, I don't know, I've been doing this for 20 years and I think I've heard this so many times. I just get a little frustrated, maybe even irritated about it when it turns into the, well, we just have to get the community to understand the value of education. And like, we need them to understand what we're doing here and we need them really <laughs> this teacher point of view is we need the community to be better. And I don't know, I've always kind of, I heard it said once, it took me a while to understand, but the community, the parents, the families, the guardians, they're sending us their best. Now, I didn't say the best, I said they're sending their best, which can be heartbreaking at times because you, you see the students that come in and what they're dealing with and they're struggling to get things done and sometimes it has to do with uh, the home life and what's going on or... Uh, the, the attention or the support they get, but they're sending their best, the best they know how. And sometimes that's because the parent or the guardian, they don't know any better and they're just doing the best they can. And so griping at them and trying to 
talk to them like our students, like do better. Like that's not going to do anything. That's going to divide a like place a wedge that divides us, like the school and the community. I I strongly believe that we're moving towards being a from a suburban to a, like a more of an urban district over the next decade or so. So we just need to look in that mindset. And our demographics are changing in terms of socioeconomic status, also uh, the eth- ethnic mix of our district. And we need to do better at we need to do better at looking into that. And I guess my point of view is we should figure out where our community is and then meet them where they are. So if they are uh, families that are coming from more of a poverty background, I talked about reading Ruby Payne's, the like framework for understanding poverty, because too many times like middle class, upper class type mindset people will just talk down to people coming from a working class or from poverty and they tell them everything they do is wrong. And it's not that what they do is wrong because what they do is what they need to do to survive in that kind of environment. But that maybe doesn't translate to a middle-class type classroom setup. And we have to transition from saying you're wrong to, hey, that tool you're using for home, that's great for home, I get it, but we we need to teach you a new tool for here in the classroom, for the workplace. And uh, sometimes what I like to say, especially with, um, you know, questionable language sometimes in class, I like to tell them that I don't really believe in bad words, good or bad words. I believe there, there are words that are appropriate for the environment. And we talk about that. Like, I get it. If you, want, if you use words like that uh, with your friends, with your family, that's between your friends and your family. But hey, here in this, like, professional-ish setting of a classroom, it's probably not the best thing to say or phrase to use. But I don't think we do that enough with some other situations um, and other characteristics that our students bring. So I, I thought about that. And then the, the time thing, the, the time, how do we retain teachers? Part of it is training. And it's not more necessarily more PDs. It's just more accountability from veterans. I guess the best way I can describe it is sometimes who you are as a teacher is just down to sheer dumb luck. It's who you end up who you are and the your personal life you have and the time you have to think through situations that you deal with through the years. And also it's who you're surrounded with on like a professional side. Because some of us, we show up and we're just surviving. We're just surviving till Labor Day that first year. We're surviving to fall break. And we get through the first year. And in that surviving, we just kind of take on whatever is going around us. We take the activities, the attitudes, the outlooks, of the other professionals around us. And sometimes we never look back. We just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Or we repeat some of the things we knew from when we were in school. Admittedly, some of those things the teachers did to us that we complained about, but it's like, oh, I know what that is. I can replicate that and I can survive. And it's almost like we need to give our young professional teachers time to um, reflect and said, that worked. But could you do better? Like that, that lesson, that activity, it worked. Like it, but at, like at what level? Was it at a, like a three out of five, a four out of five? Could it, could it be better? And what, what would it take to do that? And how can we help you do that? And how can we help you take that risk to try to do something better? And with the knowledge that it could just be a complete disaster that day, and you're not going to get in trouble and you'll be fine, and you can laugh about it with your students, like, oh, yeah, 
we tried something new yesterday. That didn't work out so well. Um, I'm going to tweak it. Or, hey, don't worry, guys. We're not doing that again. But I don't know that we have time for that because sometimes we just get dumped into a team. And if you're unlucky, you're just going to be um, who you are just because of who you were surrounded with for the first couple of years you were getting started as a professional. But the thing that I, I talked about the most after this was all over and I was kind of processing through it is just, like I said again, what's in my control and what's not. And uh, something I've heard recently is kind of this idea uh, about, um, well, I guess what you can do. And the, the idea, and I'm, I think it came from like the Dalai Lama, maybe. Uh, but it's this idea of if, if you can, like help. Like if it's within your ability, your, your actions, your words to, to help, then help others. And if you can't do that, at least don't harm. Don't make it worse. And I think that's the, the mindset I'm taking is, no, I, I don't know how to attract teachers in mass to our district. Um, I don't know how to solve the planning and the construction of buildings on our campus. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Um, and I don't know that I can solve all the problems of our students, especially maybe the home life they're coming through or the relationships they're dealing with. But I know one thing I can do, and that's at least don't make it worse. Like, don't make it worse with my attitude. Don't make it worse with my words and actions, my some dismissiveness or flippant comments. And as always, for me, I can just shut my door and rule my kingdom in G104. Because that's where I can help. If, if I can, help others. And I try my best each day just to help them like get through that hour, get through that day, get through whatever boss drama or director drama or coach drama or teacher drama or parent drama they're dealing with and, and do it in a way that builds them up instead of tearing them down. And, and if I can't, at least don't pile on. Because that's, that's all I got. That's, and that's a lot, though, because that fills my day. Oh, and it fills my heart. It does. So, yeah, that's the mindset I'm taking. It's good to go to these listen tours. It's good to see uh, a big overview of what's going on in the world of education and of my particular site. But I think in the end, just got to remind myself, if I can, help others. And if I can't do that, at least don't make it worse. Don't cause harm. Yeah, that'll keep me busy. As always, have a day.